Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Civility. I'm Robert Daniel. I'm Sarthik Sharma. This week on the pod, we're talking about John Ossoff and the future of the Democratic Party. And if they're going to even have a future. But first, before we get to talking about John Ossoff, talking about Dem- the Democratic Party at all, I do want to get one thing out of the way. So we are recording this podcast on Thursday, June 22nd, which means that today's the day that the uh, Republican Senate health care plan has come out. The top secret Republican health care Senate plan. Right. The one that was all done behind closed doors. No real debate on the floor. No discussion with Democrats. No real discussion with a lot of other Republicans. No committee hearings. Right. So that just came out today. It's about 142, uh, I think, pages long. Uh, And... Here's the thing. So we are not going to talk about that plan for much at all, uh, much time at all today. Probably not more than another minute. And that's because it just came out. Anything you're hearing on the news right now is people talking about what it probably does because they probably haven't read and understood everything about it. It's a terrible plan because of what we do know. Some of the facts that we do know: uh, cuts to Medicare, uh, you know, losses in coverage. But people don't yet have a real understanding of what it is and the Republicans that have drafted it have set up amendments that will be debated and put in over the next few weeks, so we don't even have a semi-permanent bill yet. I think it's incredibly safe to say the bill will not pass as is. Right, so there's really, it's just wasted airtime to talk about how bad this bill is right now, And, and it's not great, but that's a discussion we can have when there is a more permanent version of that bill. And a discussion we will have. We will have that discussion. But first, John Ossoff and he the lost. future of democratic politics. John Ossoff lost. If you're living under a rock, if you didn't know, if you didn't see, John Ossoff was the next great hope of the Democratic Party, and he lost. So we're here to break down what happened, why it happened, and why this, uh, what the significance of this loss is. But so first, let's hear some words from John Ossoff himself. From the former filmmaker turned Democratic star. And as we're about to play this, remember, this is not Barack Obama, regardless of how much John Ossoff wants you to think he speaks exactly like Barack Obama. Just You'll pick up on that, I'm sure, but just notice he's stolen. He's tried to steal Barack Obama's mojo, and of course, he can't do that. It's slightly, if not extremely annoying. Here it is, John Ossoff. So this is not the outcome any of us were hoping for. But this is the beginning of something much bigger than us. So thank you. Thank you for the most extraordinary experience I've ever had the honor of being a part of. Thank you for knocking on hundreds of thousands of doors. Thank you for making hundreds of thousands of phone calls. It's extraordinary what you have done here. The fight goes on. Hope is still alive. I thank you all so much. I thank you. The fight goes on. Hope is still alive. John Ossoff's last words at his election rally as he watched his candidacy uh, flimmer out. What do we make of this, Sarthik? What's the deal on John Ossoff? So let me frame this by echoing what Nate Silver from 538 said the day before the June 20th special election. He said that the narrative that emerges from the Georgia 6 runoff will lack nuance 
and will oversimplify complex evidence. I think that is, I mean, as far as 140 character explanations go, I think that's perfect for this election. I think people have been blowing up this election out of proportions in terms of a narrative. The Democrats put so much money and so much emphasis on this election um, that the results have been taken as this huge narrative swing. Um, you had Kellyanne Conway tweeting on election night that this that she was laughing her ass off. Um, Which is good. You got to give her credit. Honestly, on that. for Kellyanne, I mean that's good for Kellyanne. Like I'm, I'm she might have come up with that in advance. Well, so here here's the thing, right? So both sides were wrong. The Democrats were wrong. The Republicans were wrong. The the Republic well, so the Democrats legitimately thought that John Ossoff was the guy that was going to flip the sixth, that this was this was it. This was a special election that it didn't matter that it didn't work out in Kansas or Montana, didn't work out in South Carolina either, but this was the one. Uh, and they put all their chips in this basket. And by chips, I mean millions and millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And one of the facts that people need to remember whenever they think about these special elections is that these special elections are being held for a reason. And the reason is most likely, as it was in John Ossoff's case, the previous member has been selected by a Republican administration to, f to fill a Republican seat at Donald Trump's cabinet level. And that right there is what de the Democratic Party missed. These special elections exist for a reason. They exist because people have been selected by the Republican president to serve for him. So these are going to usually be Republican uh, strongholds, right? So the optics that the Democrats uh, looked at this race from were completely off. Instead of looking through the lens of saying that this is a way where we can gain ground in a Republican district. We may not win, we probably won't win, but if the special election shows that the Democrats are surging in the polls, that's the win we want. Instead, they went for the let's flip it, let's just go all in and win the entire district. Do you think that this was a marketing failure for the Democrats? The expectations game was played very poorly? Do you, do you think that's kind of what we're suffering from? Absolutely. Like This is all about the marketing, right? So Tom Price, who held this seat before Karen Handel, uh, won that district by 23 percentage points. So if you want to think of it uh, as a kind of a sports metaphor, uh, you're looking at a situation where in the game, the other side, the Republican side has already been spotted 23 points, right? So the Democrats have to then come up with those 23 points and then also score without keeping the Republicans for score, from scoring. And in this case, the Democrats basically lost the game something like 25 to 24, right? Which if you looked at it through the lens of, well, we spotted them 23 to start with, that's crazy, right? That's a huge win. That's like the University of Ohio going into Ohio State and winning uh, or even just losing 20 to 19. That's a really great game. But if the optics of it was that you were basically saying that if we put enough money into the University of Ohio, they're going to beat Ohio State, that's incorrect. And I think that was where um, the view of the race kind of morphed. It became less about the actual demographics of the 6th district and less about the fact that, that that district is almost has been occupied by Republicans for the last several years um, and more about this rallying cry, more about, you know, the Democrats are obviously desperate for something um, to show progress and to show a reversal against Trump because obviously um, many of them after the election were at a very low point um, and they, they're grasping at straws, so to speak. And the fact is, 
currently in America in 2018, there will be about 20 elect 20 congressional districts that could actually flip. The sixth district was never one of those ever. So you're saying the Democrats were looking for a win. Is this not a win? Like, shouldn't this be considered a this, win? Exactly, Sarthik. This should be considered a win, but it's not because the the focus became um, the focus became so much money pouring into the district, um, and then obviously um, the only positive outcome or the only outcome that was good enough was that if he actually unseated a um, Republican district. And something to keep in mind here also is that even if Ossoff had won, he would have had to run for re-election in 2018 and likely um, had a difficult pathway forward then. Um, this is just not a Democratic seat. And I think that that is what Democrats missed from the beginning, right? They saw this district as a referendum on the United States. The fact is that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. The United States is a more Democratic than Republican country. The Georgia 6th District is the opposite. It is more Republican than it is Democrat. And an example of this, uh, Winnie Wong, uh, one of the co-founders for People for Bernie, you know, she recently said that uh, one of the reasons John Ossoff, or the main reason he lost was that he didn't have a core progressive message. And that's, that's ultimately why he lost. That is slightly ridiculous. You can't win with a progressive agenda in a conservative district. It just, that's not how that works. I have two questions, Sarthik. First, do you think that that is indicative of a larger problem in the Democratic Party? The fact that she thinks a more progressive agenda would have won, when in reality, you know, Ossoff did the best he could to present a middle-of-the-road um, messaging line. Now, we can debate whether he did that well or not, but do you think there's too much pressure um, to move towards an Elizabeth Warren, progressive Bernie Sanders type agenda, even when it obviously doesn't fit certain states and certain districts and a lot of other races. Well, the problem is that when you talk about the progressive agenda, that might work in the role of a senator, maybe a governor, uh, someone that is in the executive branch. What it doesn't really work for as well is a, is a House representative, because it kind of goes back to what Tip O'Neill uh, said in the early 1980s, which is that all politics is local. So when you think of a progressive agenda, what agenda is that? The people of districts are worried about what's going on in the district, right? So healthcare might be a national issue that affects them. But beyond that, they're looking to what is going to happen within their district. So when they see that the Democratic candidate here is supported by uh, the celebrities in Hollywood. He's supported by people in other states. It's all about this overarching national progressive agenda that puts off the Republicans that might be moderate enough to vote for John Ossoff because they don't see him as representing them, you know, putting aside the fact that he didn't even live in the district. Which is an important point that shouldn't get lost. Right. That really, honestly, that's one of the big plays that the Republicans made. I mean, I think truly, like, one of the largest reasons he lost was it was a couple things. The line of the line of attack that said you don't even live in our district, how can you represent our values? I think actually had some sticking power. Second, um, complete lack of experience on Ossoff's part. Um, you cannot not. I mean, he did not live in the district. He had no prior experience. I mean, he worked on the Hill as a legislative 
correspondent or aide or whatever it may be. The line of attack that he also said— He did intern for John Lewis, too, I think. I, I think so. And, and you know— Fine fifth. Both of us on the podcast have spent some time on Capitol Hill. Neither of us would probably make a great candidate— um, it's too hard to pronounce my name. No one's voting for me. <laughs> That's true. I can't even do it, and I'm on the pod with him. But anyways, the the line of attack that said, you don't represent our values, there was a particular ad that I thought was pretty compelling, and it was the ad um, taped of people in, in San Francisco saying, thanks, John Ossoff, and they're wearing tie-dye t-shirts, or they look like Willie Nelson and coming off a five-day bender. I mean, it, it, if you're a a socially conservative but well-educated moderate in that district, that ad plays probably played really well. And you probably don't want to hand the keys to your district to someone who looks like you're a high schooler. Because the question is, does he really represent you? And and John Ossoff did a poor job of communicating that. And, and you know, I understand, obviously, the need for John Ossoff to raise a tremendous amount of money. I get that that may have been something he thought was a priority, but when he took all of that money from out of state, when he took millions and millions from Planned Parenthood, and he doesn't even run an election really about any specific thing. Um, he, he talked about how he wanted to balance the budget, he wanted to cut waste, basically trying to present himself as a very moderate Democrat. Um, he didn't necessarily run on you know, a any type of agenda, really. Um, well, that wouldn't you say that is part of the problem, that his agenda really didn't go to any one side? I would agree, yeah. No, I think that is part of the problem. I think Donald Trump is an example. People generally like it when you appear authentic, even if they may be, you know, not inclined to, to uh, buy into your rhetoric or think you may be rude or harsh or grating or, or offensive. If you seem honest... You know, that's appealing to people. People aren't making a lot of these decisions in congressional districts based on whether they think, you know, we should have block funding for Medicaid or we should have, you know, uh, funding that fully funds these programs um, in perpetuity. That's a hard concept. Um, we'd have to take a whole podcast to explain it. Now, what they do recognize is that, you know, John Ossoff came from outside the district, didn't live in the district, didn't represent our values, took a lot of money, and he wasn't even about any issues. You know, John Ossoff, you have a, you have millions of dollars to spend. What are you passionate about? What issue do you want to see fixed? You ran ads talking about cutting waste. You ran ads talking about Karen Handel's use of a private jet. That's not going to win you a race. Exactly. And the thing is that because of that, right, because of that lack of authenticity, people stopped uh, caring about that aspect of his personality and then focused in on his flaws. So if you have this, at least a veneer of authenticity, like Donald Trump had throughout the campaign, that can overcome other issues. So Trump, like Ossoff, did not have any real prior experience. government experience. Right. So, except Trump was able to come out and look, at least look authentic. And so that made up for that lack of experience because he was then uh, put in this role as the everyman. But for John Ossoff, he wasn't put in the role of a sellout because that's what it looked like. He was taking in millions of dollars from all of these outside donors. It stopped uh, mattering that he is from Georgia. Like yeah. it, it didn't matter anymore that he's from here, that he may even represent some views of the people here. It was all about what the look 
of his campaign was. He walked into a, a caricature of a Democratic candidate that, that he couldn't walk out of despite how much money he spent. Uh, just yesterday, Kyle Wingfield of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution tweeted out uh, a couple of, of this comparison that is really just staggering. So in November 2016, Rodney Stooksbury, Democrat, spent uh, I think like a thousand of his own dollars and he got 124,917 votes in the Georgia 6th. Fast forward to June 2017, Ossoff spent over 23 million and got 124,893 seats. So that's about 30 or so seats that Rodney got that John did not get. Yeah. And John outspent Rodney by over $23 million. In fact, this congressional election became the most expensive house race in our history. Which is a terrible look for the Democrats. Exactly. And and I think that's I think there came a point where it was completely unrealistic for the Democrats to keep pouring in cash um, to win a district that was simply out it simply had more Republicans than Democrats. Now, Sarthik, I, I want to to obviously we've taken a look at John Ossoff. What do you think is the lesson to learn from John Ossoff looking to these 20 or so congressional elections um, that may be competitive, um, maybe they're districts that Hillary Clinton won, that a Republican currently occupies? You know, what's the pathway to creating a candidate and creating a platform that appeals to those districts? Learn how to run the narrative, control the narrative. Right? You, the candidates will come. Both the Republican and the Democratic Party will always have candidates to run for a seat. That isn't the problem. It's about controlling the narrative, right? So here's what the Democratic, and this is hindsight, but here's what the Democratic narrative should have been, right? Karen Handel won her seat by 3.8 points. Tom Price won it by 23, and Tom Price's predecessor won it by 60. There's a pattern, which is that a Republican district has been electing a Republican representative by a smaller and smaller majority. And that should have been the lens through which this election was really put by the Democrats. What this tells me is each of these elections, so there's been four major special elections that the Democrats have gone 0-4 in. They've lost every single one. Right, so that's Kansas, Montana, South Carolina, Georgia. And we don't believe in moral victories here at Pod Civility. Right, but that's the problem. They've set it up so that you, we can't believe in moral victories. But this is what you take from that. The special elections, each of those four had candidates, Democratic candidates, that did better than they were expected from the beginning. But they were painted in a light where they did poorly because they didn't win because the Democratic Party painted it that way. So I think one of the narratives that should be emerging, but you're not really, you're not really, you're not really hearing it enough, is pointed out. If the real, true narrative was emerging, you would see the Democrats have made tremendous gains in these special elections, and they should, the, the story should be they're outperforming what are what should be normal expectations for a Democratic candidate in these districts. They should be keeping the Republicans up at night, giving them nightmares about these kinds of elections, except. What the Republicans are really doing is partying at night now. I mean, clearly Kellyanne Conway is having a great time when she hears about these election results and they're taking it as some type of, you know, affirmation of Trump's agenda. Here's the question, Sarthik. Do you think, I mean, do you think that some of these special elections are indicative of a, a turn in the congressional elections in 2018 towards the Democrats? Well, so this is where I think the Democratic Party almost had it right. Right, they a lot. So 
outside of the fact that they said that John Ossoff had a really great shot at winning, they also said that this election and these past few elections uh, would be a referendum on Donald Trump and the current state of the Republican Party. They were half right. It ruined it all for him, but it was half right. The, the John Ossoff did lose instead of win, but this is a referendum on the Republican Party, right? Like Kellyanne Conway and Donald Trump, and they all joked about how, yes, this is a referendum, which means that people like Trump. Well, no, when you look at the numbers and you see in these races that the Democrats are creeping up more and more in traditionally red districts, that tells me that when districts that are closer to being blue uh, come available next year, that's a great chance for the Democratic Party if they can just control the narrative from the top down. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something they need to do. And they're not going to be able to control the narrative from the top down unless real party leadership emerges. And I think there's a bit of a vacuum. Well, here's the question that I, I think you're, you might be creeping around then. Should Nancy Pelosi be removed or, or should she resign from basically being the head of the Democratic Party right now? I feel like I'm being forced to make a hot take here and yes. I will oblige you. Yes. I think, I think Nancy Pelosi, she may be a wonderful person. I don't know her personally. I have never met her. I think we have political disagreements. But what she is is a caricature and a lightning rod to conservatives and a lot of Democrats as well. Um, but the question is, even if you get rid of Nancy Pelosi, then you have a, a pretty controversial election that they're going to have to have within the within the party, um, within the members, to decide who's the next you know minority leader in the House, and that will inevitably return to what we've constantly been having is a debate between more Hillary Clinton type Democrats and Bernie Sanders type Democrats, and I don't know who would win. So then should the people that are running in the midterms next year try to remove themselves from the Democratic leadership and yes. kind of go it alone, yes. but maybe still under the banner yes, of the Democrats? Yes, that is what I would advise them to do. In fact, one of the things that I think is frustrating when you watch the Ossoff race, and you let me know if you disagree with this, Sarthik, is that Karen Handel tied John Ossoff to Nancy Pelosi much better than John Ossoff tied Karen Handel to Donald Trump. I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem of John, a failure of John Ossoff's, and I think that's something Republic, uh, Republican candidates um, need to be concerned about because we still have a president that is historically unpopular. Right. I think I do agree with you in that both sides, so the Republicans really, really, and some Democrats really, really dislike Nancy Pelosi. Flip that. A lot of Republic, or excuse me, yeah, a lot of Democrats and some Republicans really dislike Donald Trump. So in this race, you had John Ossoff, who talked about how he would work with Donald Trump, he would try to find common ground with Donald Trump, and you had Karen Handel basically finding the most unflattering photos and videos of Nancy Pelosi, superimposing harsh quotes over them, and you know someone speaking in a really deep, threatening voice, and just blasted over any type of, uh, of medium. So... They had two completely different ways of looking at party leadership. And in this situation, the Republicans came out far ahead of the Democrats in how they're portraying the other side's leadership. Now, Sarthik, do you, I, one of the things that I'm thinking about here and that I think is interesting to maybe think about going forward is Donald Trump is uh, singular. He, there's no one like him. Okay, he is a Republican. We've never really seen somebody like him, um, and people don't necessarily associate him 
um, as a traditional Republican. And so I think it may be difficult for Democrats to tie normal Republicans, more social conservative, who look like they walked out of a country club like Karen Handel, um, or who look like your mother or the, you know, your, your friend who went to private school's mother, um, it's going to be difficult to tie those types of candidates to Donald Trump. So then these people shouldn't be taking a paycheck. Like, this is their job. I agree. Right? Their, their job is to win an election for their side because they feel that their agenda is better for this country, better for their district, state, what have you, than the other side. If you can't do something as simple as tie a Republican to the person representing the Republican Party, you should not be working for that party. I agree completely, but I think it's a difficult task um, or it's, it's at least a task that John Ossoff failed to do, um, I think he could have done it better. I think one of the things he should have done, and one of the things I think Democrats should do going forward if they're running against Republicans in these types of districts, particularly if they nominate a candidate that is an outsider. One, John Ossoff should have embraced his lack of experience. He should have said, Karen Handel has experience, and you know what experience has shown us? Washington doesn't work. Why should we send someone with experience to fix a problem that we've seen exist for years and years and years? He should have owned that and been authentic about it instead of trying to dress up his resume in a way that made him seem like Mr. Super Politico. The man was young. He should have used that to his advantage. Um, this is this does dodge the fact that you do need people with experience. You do to get things done. I think you actually saw that with Trump talking about draining the swamp, but he had to get the, the people swamp. that were this in the swamp. You need the alligators to in, drain the right, swamp. Right, exactly. And uh, that's neither here nor there. But I guess the question that comes out of all of this is what like where's the Democratic Party going? Like what is the vision for this party? Do they have one? Do they again do they need a new leader? I think going forward the vision is is difficult um, to kind of narrow. So obviously, whenever you're a minority party and you exist in a world where there is a Republican president, a Republican majority in the Senate and the House, your agenda is oftentimes uh, responsive as opposed to proactive. Um, so right now we're seeing the Republicans, and we briefly mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, put forth the Senate health care bill. Now, the Democrats um, will will do what they can to try and prevent this bill from passing. We don't know yet if it'll pass, but the point is that their agenda will be in response to the president. They're not serving in this game. And so it's difficult to craft their own narrative outside of being the party of no. It's something the Republicans experienced when they were in the minority in the Obama administration. But one thing that the Republicans have consistently been able to do for the last almost decade or so is be... Uh, at least somewhat representative in their minds uh, as the party of everybody, right? Like the party of the working man. The Democrats also do that, but the difference is, you see this all the time, right? There is a perception, especially in the Midwest, in the South, basically the non-coastal areas, that the Democratic Party is a party of affluent, well-to-do people from the coasts that don't really care about the working man. And that's the problem. And I'll, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent with this and give a criticism of another pod. So I, this is pod civility. We try to be civil about things. But this is, I think, descriptive of an issue that exists throughout the Democratic Party. So 
I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this have also at least heard of Pod Save America and basically the whole crooked media empire. Yeah, and, and if you even look at our pod, you might see when you subscribe, because I'm sure you're going to subscribe, you might see... Please subscribe. It, please, please. You might see similar listed podcasts, and in fact, I believe Pod Save America shows up as a similar podcast. So, Right, so the guys there prior speechwriters for President Obama have worked in in D.C. for a long time, and they are out-and-out out Democrat, which is totally fine, right? They've, there's right-wing radio, there's left-wing radio. It's all, it's all fine. People should listen to everything that they want to listen to. Here's the, here's the issue. In denouncing a lot of the hardline Republican you know, uh, folks, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world, the people on Pod Save America... As great of a job as they do, and I am a subscriber, I think Robert also subscribes, they do some fantastic work, but they also demonize the entire right wing. Absolutely. So they always, right, there's always this talk about, well, you know, if we could get a moderate Republican to do something, what would, that's hard when you refer to them, and I'm going to have to say the word, when they refer to these Republicans as, quote, cucks, that, that's a terrible word. That, it sounds bad awful coming off of uh, out of the tongue what it does is isolates them and it makes it seem like the democratic party doesn't want them yeah and it also it presents a divided front um and it comes from a sense of of elitism you know it comes from a sense of laughing at the other side and i don't know um if they're watching the same uh, reality TV show that is our current politics that i am but but just laughing at the republicans and laughing at Donald Trump is what got you Donald Trump. Right, um, and that, that's the issue. The, the problem is you have these, quote, coastal elites that are just going all in and thinking that, of course, a Democrat should win whatever election comes on. So, in, you know, just for example, not just Potave America, but a lot of coastal Democrats, your San Francisco, your New York Democrats, were going in basically forcing the hand of the Democratic leadership to vie for more and more funding for elections like John Ossoff's campaign, uh, for the Kansas, the Montana campaigns. No, and they should have known that these were Republican districts that were probably not going to vote Democrat, but they forced the hand. They forced the narrative, and we see the results of that. Now we have a party in disarray. And I think that spawns from a complete detachment with the reality that is a, there are a lot of Republicans in America and a lot of Republicans in these districts. And there are a lot of people that we that, that voted for Donald Trump and, and people who exist in that Pod Save the World paradigm, Pod Save America paradigm, can't seem to wrap their mind around someone making a logical conclusion to vote for Donald Trump. I'm not saying I have that figured out as to why what people's motivations are, but simply discounting someone's decision to support a candidate as a product of their stupidity or a product of their cultural um, detachment or a cultural ostracism or you know they're just hicks from nowhere who know nothing. You know that's not going to do anything for the Democratic Party. And that's a natural tendency. It's natural to try to group yourself out, right? To feel like you belong to a specific group and that your group is the right one. Their opinion is correct. But we have to go above that. If you want real leadership and real change, if you want people to come together to solve problems, you have to understand what the other side of the aisle, whatever aisle it is, 
is saying and what the motivations for what they say are. Why is you know Mississippi so conservative? What what is it about that state that wants to have absence only education? What is it about states like California that want single payer health care? They want legalization of gay marriage. Like these are all issues that you can have real conversations about and very much can sway sides, right? Like gay marriage used to be a fringe issue, but now it's a very well accepted fact that people that are gay should have the same rights as any other heterosexual you know, uh, couple, what have you. That required both sides to come together and understand what issues existed. That's what you have to do now. It doesn't help to try to ostracize others. And it doesn't, it's it's a very important thing that people need to begin. Do we sound preachy? I feel like we sound we, a little bit we preachy. We may sound a little preachy. This podcast has been a little more, um, you know. We're on a soapbox. We're on a soapbox. A this, is, this is a shorter podcast. We're going to try and make it a little shorter. Um, this is a soapbox about the Democratic Party and about John Ossoff. Um, and, you know, I, Pod Save America is a good encapsulation of a larger problem. We want them to be friends of our pod. Absolutely. I'd love for them to be subscribers, but the fact is when you sit in a studio in San Francisco and you're sipping on a fair trade friendly, you know, mocha latte. Which is delicious. Which is delicious. I support that. There's nothing that. wrong with that. Also, San Francisco is a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. Great, great city. Amazing city. Some of the best vistas in the world. John Favreau, uh, Mr. Vitor, if you guys are listening, I don't share those cynical views that Robert shares about San Francisco no, I, and that, fair trade coffee. That was not cynical. <laughs> I enjoy fair trade coffee. Most people know that who listen to this podcast. And San Francisco is a wonderful city. I've been there a few times. Surprisingly cold. Pack a jacket. The, the point is, we have to begin the conversation that, and in a way that acknowledges that the other person talking, even if what they say you think is stupid, even if what they say you think makes no sense to you, you have to begin the conversation from a point that says, that person is valuable because of their innate humanity, and I need to listen to what they say, even if I vehemently disagree. And why that, while what I just said sounds like, rainbows and kumbaya on a nice beach in you know maybe california it is something that needs to happen but we've lost this sense that um you know that my way or the highway has taken over and the only and there are a lot of losers in response to that um and i think the american people are getting are receiving a disservice in their politics because of that so robert with all of this being said and we've said a lot we've said a lot what would you say is the takeaway from this long diatribe that we've gone on? I think that narratives are important and the Democrats misshaped the narrative and they look like losers when in reality they've seen tremendous gains. Um, but controlling the narrative is important and nominating candidates that recognize and realize that all politics is local is key to participating in these races. And just to jump back on that soapbox for one quick second, it is really important for everyone that listens to have good conversations with people that disagree with you and to try to keep it civil. Because at the end of the day, that's the only way that we're really going to get any kind of change done in America. All right. That's all we have for you this week on Pod Civility. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share the podcast. Um, and we'll see you here next week on Pod Civility. <laughs>